Hey friends, welcome to 1000 Words, Stories on the Way. My name is Matthew Clark. Um, Last week, I shared part one of a talk I gave back in 2016 at an art and faith retreat called Cofferstow. And then this week, we'll hear the second half of that talk. So if you missed last week's podcast, you may want to backtrack and catch uh, episode 17. Um, So I've come to believe that the arts provide this kind of key way to participate in God's kingdom. I'm just more and more convinced that, um, as John Chiardi describes in his book, How Does a Poem Mean?, um, that life is less like a machine and really more like a poem. Um, Our imaginations, though, have been so shaped and schematized by technology, industry, and consumerism that we tend to think of persons in terms of uh, just mechanism, like machines. But that's a false association. If anything, machines are like us, but we're not really that much like them. Um, Unless we fall into this trap of thinking so, and and that creates kind of a deterioration away from the image of God. Um, At any rate, if the true quality of life is more like the life of a poem or a story, then art offers a, a this key means of participating in practices that restore us to our God-breathed humanity. Um, redeemed creativity, redeemed imagination, make up this call to actively defy whatever is eating away at the image of God in us. And, um, and this is not only for elite groups of artists, but it's, it's, a, it's this common human call, uh, since we're all created in the image of a creator. So this talk is interested in developing a broad vision for the call to create as this doorway into a way of living in God's life so that we are shaped through creative participation which ends up manifesting God's kingdom here in this world. So, here is part two of a talk called Paying Attention, The Costly Craft of Redemptive Listening. What happens every time I pay attention? What happens every time I am willing to pay the cost of attention? What happens every time I do respect something or someone that I think doesn't have anything to offer. Every time I sacrifice in that way, it's worth it. It's so worth it. I find beautiful things waiting there that I thought weren't there. Uh, so I started to, to pay attention to my dad and uh, felt like I was meeting this person for the first time. I realized uh, that my dad is a poet. He really is a poet. The, one of the oldest definitions of the word poet, which I heard Walt Wongeren say, is a piler of piles. It just means to take chaos and give order to it, make stacks of rocks. Or... And my dad, in that sense, he's more of a poet than I am because he really takes trees and creeks and paths and fields and he orders that into a beautiful farm place. And so, this is, this is like, I never, ever thought I would say this, but I'm like learning about poetry from my dad. It's so bizarre. 
But it did happen because I started paying attention to him. And I discovered something beautiful that actually had always been there. I just never looked for it. So what does this have to do with living life creatively or responding to the the call to art? Because there are a zillion things that are screaming constantly for your attention, right? How do we move through all that clamor? Um, For instance, is everything on 24-7 News Channel actually worth my attention? (laughs) Is any of it worth my attention? (laughs) Uh, that's just one example. So how do we pay attention to anything when we feel like we have to pay attention to everything all the time? And uh, this is kind of where I landed, something that Rich Mullen said. You were singing Rich Mullen songs earlier. And I read in this little book that he said, man, sometimes obedience to Jesus looks as boring and simple as just making your bed in the morning. And I was like, I can do that. And so as like dumb as it sounds, I was like, I'm, I'm just going to make my bed every morning. Every morning, I'm just going to get up and spend the first 35 seconds of my day and just pull the sheets tight, you know. And it feels so dumb. Uh, and again, it's not a superstition, but it is this tiny, tiny way of just practicing attention. Just pay attention to, to one thing. And it sounds overblown, but actually, like, that's really the point. I want to draw attention to something that seems like it's not worth your time. Kind of this quotidian mystery. Why does this matter? Um, But it got me thinking about a couple of things. It got me thinking about rest. Like, what is rest? Uh, It got me um, thinking about how how good it feels at the end of the day to walk into my room and to see this cosmos bed instead of like a chaos of just sheets and pillows everywhere. It's like clean. It's ready for me to be comfortable and sleep at the end of the day. Um, and so it's become this little testimony of the truth of the cosmos that, that the ultimate truth is cosmos and not chaos. And here's the thing about cosmos. It is never, ever, 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 ever an accident. Cosmos happens because somebody had an intention and they made the effort to do something on purpose, to make a pile, to mow that path, to plant those flowers. And it's an act of attentiveness. So when I'm a guest in somebody's home, and there are people in this room who have hosted me in their home And when I walk into somebody's house and there's a table set or there's a bed made or there's a little suitcase with earplugs and like popcorn, like I know, okay, somebody had intention. Somebody took the time to cosmos this room with love uh, to prepare a place for me so that I could rest. Uh, I was tended to with love, and the bed declares that handiwork. Just like the heavens declare the handiwork of God. A God who lovingly crafts a habitat for his children. Let me ask you this question. When you showed up on this earth, did you find beautiful, good things just like waiting for you already here? You did. 
So let me finish with this before we ask another question. Because uh, I think this illustration is kind of fun. So when you make your bed, you're cosmosing from the raw material of flung sheets and pillows. You are making a little habitat. Lovingly prepared and ordained for rest from your labor. Your bed is a little corner of Sabbath where you cease from toil. And you remember that there is a Lord who came before you. And who goes ahead of you to prepare your accommodations in his father's house. Where one day you will be an honored guest, looked upon and found in the loving gaze of God. Remember, we don't know who we are until we're caught in the loving gaze of another. And there you will know you are lovely. Because when someone loves you, you find out that you're lovable. And you can relax in your belovedness. Several years ago, I learned a couple of things from a counselor that I think are relevant here. I went through this time of intense loss, which thankfully I'm not in that space now. Um, but the first thing I learned was that you cannot shortcut grief. You can't bypass it. You can't just act like it's not there. You can't numb yourself. If you do, you will not grow. And that thing will just stay there. Uh, so I had to make eye contact with that grief. Uh, and that was really painful. And I had to listen. And so I want to say this. Grief has something really important that it's trying to tell you. And unless you listen, the shy story of grief will not feel safe enough to emerge because listening evokes stories, right? But it is costly to pay attention to your grief. It doesn't feel good. Second thing my counselor mentioned was that it was, a, it was going to be important for me in that time of grief to find seemingly insignificant ways to stay in touch with reality. She said, I, I thought this was fascinating. She said that the first signs that a person is being swallowed up by depression and apathy uh, is that they stop doing ordinary bodily maintenance. This is really interesting to me. Uh, they skip showers. Uh, they leave the dishes for an extra day or two. Uh, they sleep a little later than normal. They don't make the bed. Uh, I'll just leave those shirts on the floor. You know. Uh, she said these really tiny things are actually huge red flags that a person is losing a sense that life really matters or that their life really matters, and they're being taken over by apathy. And so she recommended, she said, this is going to feel totally unnatural, but you need to uh, make an effort just to get out of bed in the morning, which sometimes can be a real effort. Just take a shower, even though you're working from home and nobody's going to see you or smell you but yourself. Like, take a shower and put on clothes. Don't, you know, walk around in your pajamas all day. Uh, go for a walk. Cook something. Uh, make your bed. And it really helped. Like that really helped me just not completely check out from my own life. You know? And another thing that really helped was worship. Uh, specifically in the church where I am, uh, we do liturgies. And those liturgies really helped me. Um, because at the time I was in this... Uh, there was a lot of internal chaos. And so having these external liturgies 
really helped contain that chaos for me and like give some some way for it to go, you know, something to do with that. They were little havens of order and cosmos when I was full of chaos. And they really helped me keep in touch with reality and to push apathy away. And one of the best things about them was I didn't have to come up with them. I didn't have to like invent them. They were just there. All I had to do was show up and participate. Uh, and that made a way for me to worship with people who, um, who loved me in my brokenness, which stabilized my world, which was spinning out of control. And ultimately, I find myself caught in the loving gaze of God. And I find out a little more of what it means to be loved by him, like John. When I'm caught in, here's something crazy. When I'm caught in that loving gaze, that is when I find that I have a shy story within myself. That if it had not been evoked by someone else's listening, I would not have known to have looked for it in my, in my heart, my own heart. They're like, what does this have to do with living artistically in Jesus' kingdom? I talked to so many people in preparation for this talk. retreat who said, yeah, but I'm not an artist. Should I come to this? Why would I come to an arts retreat? I'm not an artist. It feels like in our culture, the idea of art or creativity is something like, oh, normal people can't do that. But I think art is this quotidian mystery. It is this thing that that belongs in the mundane. Um, but I have, a, I have a, a theory about why we feel that way about art. So here's a, a short art history lesson about the Romantic period. The Romantic period was following uh, the Enlightenment and the Industrial periods, Industrial Revolution, when the world was no longer charged with the grandeur of God. Right? Nietzsche was saying, God is dead. Right? And so that meant that Creation had no inherent meaning or value. There is no God behind it. It's just material. It's going to, when you die, you're dead and there's nothing else. Uh, it doesn't mean anything more than what you can make it mean in this moment. So all the artists were like, well, okay, maybe there is no God. But it's like, how do you shake that sense of like, but I feel like this world means something. You know, what do I do with this? And so the artist said, well, if we can't have a God, we've got to have some source of meaning. So the artists became uh, the ones who said, okay, it's our job to reinvest the cosmos with intention and meaning and purpose. And that's the romantic period. That's what they were trying to do. And so what ends up happening is the artist replaces God as the transcendent giver of meaning and purpose and intention in the universe, in the cosmos, which is a pretty tall order. So that's why it feels so intimidating to say, like, you are called to be an artist, and the first thing that comes to my mind is, like, that romantic image of this godlike, like, I've got to be Beethoven or something like that, you know? And that's so intimidating. Like, how could I have a place in that? How could I be a part of that? Um, but that was an elitist vision. That was an exclusive elitist vision. The romantic vision is. So if you're willing to look and to look again and to look a little closer, I want to propose a re-vision. Because God's vision is that everyone who is made in the image of God has an imagination, has an imagination, and is called in a million different ways 
to be creatively engaged as a citizen of Jesus' kingdom, as a part of the cosmos. The Christian vision of the cosmos is that it has been lovingly crafted with great care, with great intention by a God who is alive, actually an eternal family of three people who have poured their heart into everything that has been made. And all this meaning that the romantics were trying to invent, it's already there. It's already there. You don't have to come up with it. It's been placed there like a mint on your pillow or like a made bed or like moonlight on the water um, or the flowers on the dinner tables. Somebody put those together because somebody was looking forward to your arrival and so they prepared a place, right? So how do you enter into this creative call to be an artist? Well, the first thing you do is you start paying attention. You just start paying attention. And when you pay attention, you don't have to be a genius. You don't have to invent meaning like the romantics. The meaning is already there. God has put it there. We just need to pay attention. And those shy stories, when we listen, will be evoked. When we cultivate a respect for the people and the things around us that God has made, when we pick that book up off the floor and put it on the top shelf in a place of honor. Well, then what happens? After you start listening, after the, the shy stories, they start coming out of their turtle shells. Um, we start hearing and noticing because we've grown ears to hear and eyes to see, to respect. Uh, and then we find out that like this guy in John chapter 9 who was born blind. Do you know this story? He's born blind. Jesus heals him. He gets chewed out by the Pharisees. And he says, I think this guy is a prophet. He's a, or maybe he's God. I don't know how you're missing it. Nobody's ever healed a man born blind. And then Jesus, watch this, comes looking for him because he heard he got kicked out. And Jesus respects the, the man born blind, comes looking for him. And he says, wouldn't you like to meet the Savior, the Messiah? And the man born blind says, yes, show him to me. And Jesus says, he's standing right in front of you. And the man respects Jesus. He looks again and he worships. Even Jesus is a shy story that must be respected. Have you ever noticed this? The almighty God in the flesh says, heals somebody and then he says, shh, don't tell you got to keep that to yourself. He's a shy story. So we pay attention. The stories come out into those patient places. And then the next thing, the last thing we do is we make art. And this is, these are a couple of words that really help me. Uh, that just means that we articulate. We articulate. We hear the stories and then we tell them in our own words. And our articulation turns into an artifact, an art effect, a something that exists out there in the world uh, that can pass from one person to here to you and can go into your heart, right? Uh, when you pocket your cell phone 
and you turn your body towards your friend and you make eye contact, uh, your body, your physical body is a spiritual artifact. You are... Uh, articulating a story to them with your body, and the story that you're telling them is that their story matters to you. Right? The cosmos flowers on the dinner tables, they are an intentional articulation that has become an artifact and that tells you a story. And the story is that you are beautiful and carefully crafted to bloom, to flower forth from the love that articulated you. The food on the table is an articulated artifact. That tells you a story that you've got to take something from outside of you and put it in you or you will die. Shmaimon says we are hungry beings. Man is a hungry creature. Um, this goes on and on. This goes on and on and in this like endless array of possibilities uh, to make artifacts of the true story so that people can receive it into themselves and live. I love this. I think the human... Do you ever make faces in the mirror? Like just practice making faces? You do. You do. I think it's really fun. I think I'm blown away by what a human face can do. It's wild. Uh, Even your facial expression and the tone of your voice are opportunities to make brilliant life-giving art in the kingdom of God. If you have a face, you can make art. Because your face is a work of art. It is a little cosmos that has been invested with meaning and purpose by God himself. That's exciting to me. I'm like, ah, there's all this opportunity to participate creatively. There's all this material that means there's so much meaning. Let me wrap it up with this. How does Jesus get us into this kingdom? How does Jesus get us into this creative kingdom? I think he does it by this ultimate act of articulation, this ultimate act of artifact making. And it's called the incarnation. At the incarnation, the invisible personal intention of God becomes flesh and dwells among us. God shows us a face. He pays attention. He turns his body toward us. Um, The ones who fixed their eyes that respected him, they became disciples. The ones who look, who look again, who keep looking, who fix their eyes on Jesus. At the cross, Jesus does the human race the ultimate service. And it is an act of attentiveness. Jesus pays attention. That's what the cross is. Jesus listens to our grief. He goes silent to the slaughter. And on the cross, he commits himself to paying so much attention to our grief, that the listening actually costs him his life. He dies making a place for our suffering so that our shy stories can come out and be laid to rest in his body. His body is a bed that he makes for the weary to rest. If we will respect and pay the cost of attention to him, to the artifact of his body, It will tell us a story, a shy story will come out about who God is and also who we are. The father who has been there all along, just like my dad who was there and I didn't notice him. The father who has been there all along, we will meet him for the first time. 
And when we listen, we will find ourselves listened to. And we will find out that we have a story to tell and a place in this story. And lastly, in our own words, through anything and everything available to us, we will hear Jesus inviting us to tell our story, which is located in his story. And we won't have to be romantic geniuses striving to invent meaning to be original. Instead, we'll be full of the brilliance of having returned to our origin in the family of the Trinity. And whatever we do, even if it is just making our bed, we can know that we do it unto the Lord and that our labor is never, ever, ever in vain. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that you would take us out of here in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to listen, pay the cost of attention, to articulate, to make artifacts that tell the story of the one who paid the cost of attention to our cries and in love articulated to us a story of a place of rest prepared for us by our Creator. Amen. Thank you guys. Thank you guys for listening. That is all for this week. Thank you for listening. Um, Please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Spotify and leave a review if you're enjoying it. Also, just feel free to share it online. If there's somebody you think that it would encourage or be helpful um, for, then, uh, yeah, share it with them. Thank you for listening. I'm Matthew Clark, and I will see you next week.